Um, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Danny. I've uh, been away too long and uh, I'm glad to be back. So, Merry Christmas. Greet, greet each other, Merry Christmas. And, 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 and please, don't say Happy Holidays, okay? Greet each other, Merry Christmas. You know, this is the, did you know that this is the 2015 Christmas? We have been celebrating Christmas for 2015 times. For some of you, this is your 80th one. Me, it's my 40th one. After I celebrated my 40th birthday. It's my 40th one. You know, I, after all these years, we go through Christmas year after year, year after year, probably doing the same thing over and over again, greeting one another, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and everything like that. And I, I, I really wonder if after all these years, folks, we really know what Christmas is all about. Hmm. You know, uh, for many, Christmas is about Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not pop. Pastor, can I sing? <laughs> For others, it is like decorating your house. Like, have you seen this house? You know, if you, if you go to the Guevara's, I think you will see this. <laughs> you know, as if they don't have any Edison Bill problems at all, okay? They, they light up their house and make it really look like no longer a house, but, you know, just a lighthouse. And for some people, it's about Christmas trees, decorating, lighting up the Christmas tree, and enjoying everything there is. Something like this. And, you know, this, this, this reminds me of a story of, 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 of two blondes. You know, every time you talk about blondes, there's something that comes into your mind, right? There were, there were these two blondes who, you know, uh, wanted to uh, look for their own Christmas tree. So they went deep into the woods, into the woods, okay? Another Broadway thing that I want to sing. <clears throat> it was frozen, and it was sub-zero temperature, and these two blondes went into the woods looking for Christmas trees. And after so many hours of, of, of sub-zero temperature, and even two close calls with hungry wolves, you know, one of the blondes turned to the other and said, enough, I'm chopping down the next tree I see. I don't care whether it's decorated or not. <laughs> that's supposed to be a joke, okay? Those of you who laugh, you got it. Because that's the only joke I'm going to give today because the rest is going to be serious stuff about Christmas. Seriously. Many of us go through Christmas doing many good things, giving gifts to each other. That's good. And even having parties, like, you know, parties, like food. Later we're going to have this. And it's all good. I have nothing against that. But I hope that this time we really see Christmas the way it should be. My question is this, folks. What is Christmas really all about? So, 
you know, I'd like you to spend about a few minutes just talking to each other, you know, find a partner and tell me, tell them, this is what I think about Christmas. Come on, let's do that. What is Christmas all about? Uh, Tony, you tell uh, Tita there what Christmas is all about. I'm going to ask Ardi to share what uh, he's going to share with Denise. Where's Peter? Downstairs? Oh, okay. All right. So, let me ask someone. Cleveland, what did you share? What is Christmas all about? Birth of Jesus. The what? The birth of Jesus. Okay. Tito Tony, what did you share? Wow. Well, it's not even done yet. <laughs> Tito Tony, you want to come here? That's my Tito Tony from Manila, Andaya. Okay. Uh, Ardi, what is Christmas about? Sharing love and care for everyone. Those are all good. And uh, I know some of you know what Christmas is all about, and I hope this time it's going to be really bring it down to the reality, and I hope that it, it dawns upon us that there is something we have been missing all these years that would make us look Christmas differently from this day forward. So this morning, I, I would like us to talk about getting Christmas right. Let's get Christmas right. Because if we get Christmas right, then we will be able to experience the many things that God promised us in Christmas. So, I'd like to start by asking the question, do we know what Christmas is about according to the Bible? Really? Because we have no other source except the Bible. What is Christmas about according to the Bible? The Bible promises, Christmas promises man great joy and peace on earth. Did you know that? Many of you know that. The Bible says that. It promises man great peace, joy and peace on earth. And my question is, if so, then after 2015 Christmases, folks, that joy and that great peace on earth should be quite evident around us. Shouldn't it be? Right, Ulrich? You know, if, if, if God promises great joy and peace on earth on Christmas, and it's been 2015 years ago that he promised that, boy, oh boy, we should be experiencing great joy and peace on earth. Now, folks, based on what we have today and based on the following facts, you decide, okay? You decide. These are what we have today in our midst. Recall this picture? This is what? Paris? Suicide bomber identified. ISIS claims responsibility for 129 dead. 
And here in uh, California, we have San Bernardino. You know how many, how many folks died there? 41. 40? Whatever. 40. And, you know, there are statistics about shooting incidents in the United States between 2000 and 2013. It's on the rise. You call that peace? You call that joy? Mm, I'm not sure. And today, did you know that the highest sales are guns? People are, are, are trooping and rushing to gun stores because they want to buy guns for themselves. I wonder, do they feel secure? And are they, Is there really peace around us if that's the case? Not sure. You decide. Um, we have what you call this uh, group that is on the rise and everybody is preparing for it. Even the United States is panicking already about this group. I don't know if you are affected. Maybe you're not because we're all secure in the idea that we're all Christians. But the question is, do we really have peace around us? Is there great joy that we're experiencing after all these years that God promised Christmas? to be great joy and peace on earth. People are moving from one country to another. They're trying to enter the country because they're trying to leave the place where they live because in that place there's a lot of what? Conflict. There's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of killing. And I wonder, I don't think that's great joy and peace on earth. I, 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 I really doubt it. I, I, I would rather call it great grief and conflict on earth. Would you agree? I know you're agreeing in your hearts, but I know your heart is being stirred right now because, yeah, whatever happened to the promise? Golly, what happened to the promise? How about man's great joy and peace at the family and domestic level? Let's not even talk about countries. Let's talk about the family. Think about your family. I know you're an exception. But think about the families around you today who may not know Christmas or who are just part of this world living and eventually dying. This is the divorce rate. It's continuing to go up. Those of you who are happily married today, I see you. There's a lot of here. People are happily married. And you'd say that that's not you. Yes, we are exceptions, but take a look at what's happening out there. Divorce. People are separating after planning to get together and enjoy marriage. Different countries, okay? U.S. is very high, as you can see, and that's where we are. What does that tell you? Domestic violence is on the rise, actually, because there is a lot of conflict happening between man and woman, husband and wife, parents and children and everything like that. A woman is bitten every nine seconds in the United States. Did you know that? Let's count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Boom! Somebody has got hit. That's terrible, isn't it? And, and Christmas promises to be a, a time when, when, when God promised great joy and peace on earth. Every minute 20 people are victims of intimate partner violence. No great joy and peace on earth, I must say, but rather there is great grief and conflict 
on earth. Question is, how come? What happened? What happened? Guys, did God fail to deliver on his Christmas promise on earth of great joy and peace among men? Did he? Come on, you know God. Is our God so helpless that he cannot deliver on his promises, you think? You know, I, I'd like you to think about this. After this 45 minutes of, of Christmas message, we're all going to go into the party and enjoy the rest of the season all over again. But I'm not going to take, take that opportunity. I'm not going to lose that opportunity to bring us back to where it should be because something is awry. Something is missing. Did God fail? He said great joy and peace. No, absolutely not. He did not fail. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He can deliver. If he says he's going to bring great joy and promise on earth, he can and he will. But the point is, I don't think he is. Is he? Why? Because man has gotten Christmas wrong for so long now. I submit to you, we, even Christians, many of us have gotten Christmas wrong. Unless and until man, you and I, get it right, I don't think we're going to see the promise, great joy, and peace on earth ever. And I know, do you like great joy and peace on earth? You know, within your family, would you like that, Ulrich? Even among our uh, golf uh, team, right? Right? There's so much conflict right now because Alvin is no longer winning. Okay? <laughs> and uh, the, the guy who's laughing is that the guy, the guy who's always winning, okay? And uh, see, I like, I like joy and peace. I like that. You know, Unless you're Dennis the Menace, okay, there's something wrong. I like that. But unless and until we get Christmas right, we will never experience the promise, great joy and peace. We will not, we will not, we will not experience it. So, this morning, let's get Christmas right. Let's get Christmas right. And let's all stand and let's get Christmas right from the Bible, okay? Let's read the Christmas story. The Christmas story, let's get it right. Let's read it together, shall we? Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 14. Now, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the family of David, in order to register. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, 
suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just thank you for Christmas. We have been celebrating it for so many years now, for many of us. And Lord, um, would you open our hearts and our eyes today so that we get Christmas for what you intended it to be? Lord, you, you are the author of Christmas. And would you, would you Lord, uh, reveal it to us clearly this morning? so that we will get it right. Father, I, I just commit this worship service to you. I commit myself to you, Lord, if there's anything that is not right uh, that may come out of my heart and my mouth, would you, would you edit it and remove it and replace it with what is only glorifying to you? We thank you for your son. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, O oh God, because apart from it, we are nothing. So Lord, make us get Christmas right this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Christmas is God's priceless gift to man he loves. That's true. And you know what? For a huge reason. God gave his son because he loves man, but for a huge reason. What's that reason? For God's highest glory. You know, it's no accident that when I ask the people, maybe some of you mentioned that when you were discussing it with people. But hardly when you ask per people what Christmas is all about, you will, you, will, you will seldom get the statement, oh, it's for the glory of God. You know, because we miss it. First and foremost, Christmas is for the highest glory of God. For what he has done. To reconcile man to God. Make man pleasing to God. So that man will enjoy peace on earth. You see the sequence? First and foremost, it's for God's highest glory. To reconcile man to God. Make man pleasing to God. And enjoy peace on earth. And this is getting Christmas right. Many times we focus on Christmas and we focus on man getting the glory rather than God getting the glory. We get lost in the merrymaking and the gift giving and we are drowned by the love that we feel all around us that many times the whole thing just revolves around us rather than on God. Christmas is about God, and it's about giving glory to God because He has a purpose. So if, if, it's, all, if it's all about glorifying God, then my question is, how then does man, that's us, glorify and please God for the great joy and peace it brings? I know you want joy and peace. So if Christmas is all about glorifying God, and be pleasing to God, then I'd like to do that first and foremost so that I want to get Christmas right. How? The passage in Scripture is very clear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. You see that? 
There's, right there, there's a word joy. For today, all right, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. A Savior. Christos. Who is Christ the Lord? Right there. From the very beginning, from the very first account of Christmas, the first thing that came out of the angel's mouth is the glory of God. Uh, rather, it is, it is about the good news that a Savior has been born, and this Savior is not just a Savior, but more importantly, Lord. So what must we do to glorify and please God? Two things, so that we get Christmas right. Man, that you and me, must have Jesus Christ as what? A Savior and Lord. I underline the word and because that is extremely important. Many of us miss the second point. That's why if we are going to experience the, the peace on earth by glorifying and be, becoming pleasing to God, man must, must accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Two must. Two must. The first must is this. Man must make Christ his Savior. I know many of you have satisfied this. Oh, I've done that a long time ago. But if you're here and you're hearing this for the first time, and it doesn't quite make sense to you. This message is for you. Man must make Christ his savior. Why? Because man is a sinner. Oh, I've known that a long time ago, pastor. Yeah. But let me, let me make you see it in a different light. That will make you appreciate Christmas even more. Because man is a sinner. And you know what? Sin has an inevitable penalty, which is eternal doom in hell. Pastor, this is Christmas. Why don't we just talk about being joyful and being happy? Yes, before we can become joyful and happy, before we can experience the good news, we have to talk about the bad news. And the bad news is that man is a sinner. He is destined for eternity hell, and that's why he needs a Savior. Folks, our problem is huge. And until and unless you get a good doctrine of how big our problem is, until you understand what sin brings, we will never appreciate the good news that God is offering us. Worse, we might even take it for granted. Our problem is huge. God says, the God of the universe the God who gets all the glory says, we are all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 12 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is, not, there is none who does good. There is not even one. Really? That's what God says. And you know, when I read this passage to my classmate, who is a very intelligent person, he disagreed with me. He said, Danny, you're wrong. Man is good. I am good. You know, I contribute. I do this. I do civic work. Some people even spend their whole life, you know, fighting cancer and giving their money to the good cause. Nothing wrong with that, right? Those are good things. But you know, that's not the kind of good that God is talking about. 
from the point of view of God, before Christ, man cannot do anything good. Why? You begin to wonder. You know why? Because sin is not just the wrong things or disobedience we do. Did you know that? I used to think that if I disobey, that's sin. Yeah, it is. But it's not just that, folks. Sin is deeper. And that's what I would like you to understand today so that you would really, really decide to make Jesus your Savior. I will repeat, sin is not just the wrong things that we do. We do many wrong things, right? But you say, but I do good things too. Uh-oh. No, not necessarily. You're not actually doing any good thing as far as, far as God is concerned. Because your idea of good as man is different from the idea of good of God. You understand what I'm saying? It is deeper. What is that? Sin is our fallen nature. Sin is our disposition starting after the fall of man. When Adam and Eve sinned, you and I started to have that fallen nature. It's what you call a disposition. A disposition not to like God. A disposition to hate God. A disposition not to glorify God. And even you're not even aware of it fully. And that's the sad part. Which is exactly the fall. What exactly is this fallen nature or disposition? Firstly, it is that which triggers the anger and the wrath of God against sinful man to send him to hell. All right? God loves you. Make no mistake about that. But at the same time, he is a holy God. And this sin that we have triggers anger and wrath in him to send us to hell unless we repent and unless we correct the problem. It is the root of all other sins. Really? It is the sin that causes man to sin. In other words, it is the sin that begets other sin. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, I used to think that sin is just what you do. No, sin is your nature before Christ. Without Christ, we have a nature, a disposition. In other words, it's an inclination to do wrong. Well, what, what, what is wrong with building a hospital for the sick, pastor? What is wrong for feeding the people at Skidrow, pastor? That's good. I know it's good. But if you do it for your glory and not for the glory of God, it is wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Sin nature is the disposition, anything within you that refuses to recognize and honor God. Ah, now I'm getting it. Even if you do something right in the eyes of man, but if you do it for yourself in the eyes of God, nah, that's sin. That's why he said, there is none righteous, not even one. Sin and its root. Look at sin and its root in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and forward, and you will understand this. I'm going to go slow because this passage tells you what the sin nature is. And I hope that you get it because once you get it, I'm very confident we will get Christmas right. So this is sin and its root. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world in his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now look at what I highlighted. Even though they knew God, they did not honor or meaning glorify. I placed that parenthetically. They did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And here it is. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. I will repeat. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. What is sin nature? Sin nature is very simple. We glorify ourselves and the things that we create and the things around us instead of glorifying the creator. Right? You may not be guilty of that if you are not aware of what it is, but guys, if you keep doing what you're doing, for example, as you come to church, as you serve God for your own advantage, for your own regard, without signifying or without putting it in proper perspective of glorifying God, then I'm sorry, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. And, and Satan made man like himself. Remember how Satan was thrown by God in hell and how he became Satan? He was called Lucifer, angel of light. What happened to him? He wanted the glory for himself and not for God, right? And that started the whole thing. And he shared the same nature to us by what? Tempting Adam and Eve and causing Adam and Eve to fall because Adam and Eve desired to become like God. They started to focus on themselves rather than on God. So, what is sin? Everything within you and me that is inclined and disposed to hate, dishonor, and not glorify God, but self. You understand what I'm saying? Seriously, give me a feedback. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is everything within us that is not glorifying God. And that's so easy, guys. When we become proud, when you become selfish, that's your sinful nature. In other words, whether you like it or not, sin enslaves us. We are slaves of sin. And that is not good. In other words, regardless of what you intend to do, you will always do what's wrong. That's being enslaved to sin. Why? Because unless and until you glorify God for all the things that you're doing, you may be glorifying others or worse yourself if you're not careful. That's why God says there is none who does good. There is none who does good. There is none who even, not even one. And God says all sin and all fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. You're all familiar with this. But you know what I am directing you to? To get Christmas right? The glory of God. 
Okay? We're all falling short of the glory of God because we don't glorify God. We don't honor God. We have a tendency to honor only ourselves and the things that we create for our own pleasure and for our own honor. That's why God in his holy anger and wrath will punish sin in the worst possible terms. Our God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share his glory with anyone. Trust me. I'm not, I'm not sharing something awful about God. God is that. God loves you. God is grace. God will give you everything by his love, grace, and mercy. But please recognize he is also a jealous God and he's not going to share his glory with you. Until you understand that right, we will never get Christmas right. He is willing to punish man in the worst possible term because man is not getting it. So this morning, I want you to get it. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin. Look at that, singular, sin, not even sins. For the wages of sin is death. God is telling us this, yes. Because he wants you to realize how serious he is and he wants his glory, not yours. Until you realize that sin has a wage. What is a wage? A penalty. It carries with it a penalty and the penalty is death. But he also says there, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. At this point, I'd like to zero in on the death. What kind of death is he talking about? You know, if he's talking about physical death, then we should be all dead by now because we're all sinners, right? No, he's not talking about a physical death because everybody's going to die a physical death. He's talking about some kind of death. He's talking about the second death found in Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters, and look at that, I underline the word all liars. Those of you who are here this morning, and this is the first time you're seeing you know, what the Word of God is saying about sin, make no mistake about it. He said, all liars. And that includes you and me. If you have not lied, and you're telling me, excuse me, Pastor Danny, I haven't lied, you've just lied. Okay? So, all liars. What, what will happen to all liars, according to the Bible? Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, there is a second death? Yeah. The Bible is very clear. There is a first death called physical, but there will also be a second death. And that second death is a place. It's a place. It's a lake, actually, that burns with fire and brimstone. And we know that as what? Hell. And that is the place for people with one sin. Hmm. That qualifies all of us, right, Ulrich? Ulrich has 1,700 million sins. Mm -hmm. Can't even count. Conclusion. Man in his sin is hopeless and destined for hell. Eternally and cannot save himself. Many of you know this. And many of you say, oh yeah, that's why I, I already have Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's very good. But for those of you who are here and you're hearing it for the first time and you're getting a good understanding of the sin nature and there's nothing in you, nothing that can save you, then this is getting Christmas right as the first step. Make Jesus as your Savior because you cannot save yourself ever. 
knowing this will make us cry out for a Savior, right? Oh, God, I can't save myself. That's the case. Thus, sinful man's first must for Christmas. Have Jesus as Savior because He alone can save sinners in the hands of an angry God. God is loving. God is merciful. God is kind. God is faithful. All of those. But He's also an angry God when it comes to sin. You know, don't wonder then. Here's, what, here's where I get excited about Christmas. Don't wonder then why God through Christmas offered outright peace to sinful man. See, I was amazed when the angels, by the way, when the shepherds saw all of the angels, it's not just one or two angels. It's an army, a multitude of angels in the sky. And if you were, if you were the shepherd, how would you have reacted? Whoa, what's this? You know, I want you to imagine that because we just read this over in the Bible and it just flies through us. But if you take a look at what the shepherds experienced, they were there and they were looking at the sky and it was full of angels. And you know what blurted out of the angel's mouth? Look at this. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And then look at this. And on earth, peace among man with whom he is pleased. I really wondered, why peace? Why was peace the first thing that God offered to man on the very first Christmas? I was looking for a better word like love. I was looking for a better word like grace. I love grace. That's my wife. Okay. I was looking for hope, mercy, and whatever. But here is a God. The first thing that came out of the angel's mouth was Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. I, I was floored when I was preparing this message. I said, wow, from the very first Christmas, God had the first issue very clear to him. He cannot offer us any love. He cannot offer us anything until he resolved the issue between you and him. And that's why he offered peace to man. But, but make no mistake about this. He didn't offer this to every man. He offered it to the man with whom he is pleased. That's why he offered peace. And that's why he called his son. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I said, wow, God, make me get Christmas right. Because I want the peace that you offer to us. How can man, how can we make Jesus our Savior? I'd like to make Jesus my Savior if that's the case. Wouldn't you, Ulrich? Is this Kevin? Kevin, okay. And? Car Kyle, okay. And uh, the guy in the middle? 
JP, okay, is also your son? Oh, okay. You know, Ulrich, Ulrich, the Bible is very clear. We can make Jesus as our Savior. The Bible is clear on this. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Haven't we seen this? Haven't we heard this? Haven't we read this many, 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 many times but it just flies through us? God wants you to make Jesus your Savior because He wants to offer you peace. Without peace, you cannot move on with your Christian life. Believe me, even if you think you are moving, you're not. He said, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, guys, another word for belief is trust or faith. Is faith. How can man make Jesus our Savior? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. I'll make this very simple. Faith is basically trust. Do you trust someone? Yes. Have you learned to trust someone? Kevin, do you trust your dad? Because you know him, right? And you know, therefore, without saying, you have faith in your dad. Because faith is basically trust. So if you have experienced trusting someone, guys, you have faith. You have faith. Let me make this simple. Just like, just like uh, you know, your trust is your faith in someone or something. You know, if you, if you call Hill and ask Hill to, you know, drive for you in Uber, okay, <laughs> Okay, you know, you're not going to call Hill and ask Hill to bring you somewhere if you don't trust Hill, right? Or if you call the cab, the cab driver will say, where do you go? Okay, I'm going to this place. What do you do? You just trust that taxi driver to bring you where you are going, right? If you don't trust that taxi driver, then you're not going to take that cab to go wherever you go. So you have faith in that driver, whether you like it or not. You know... Also, for doctors, you know, do you trust doctors? You know, I have two doctors, disciples here, okay? They are uh, Marnell and Chris Baradi. They're from Central Valley, okay? There they are. Uh, they all play, pray for them because they want to start CCF in the Central Valley, okay? Oh, look at that, okay? <clears throat> They're both doctors, okay? And, you know, guys, if the doctor tells you something's wrong with you and they have to cut a part of your body to heal you, you will be willing to stay under the knife of that doctor, right? And you trust that doctor, and then you have faith in that doctor. It's as simple as that. Faith is trust. So trust Jesus for what? If you want to believe in Jesus or have faith in Jesus, you have to trust Jesus for something. You know, because... How do we make Christmas right? Two must. We must make Jesus as our Savior. And the Bible says, believe in Him. Trust in Him by faith. Trust Jesus for what? Trust Jesus to get all, all, all 
Look at me. All your sins forgiven, past, present, and future. Oh, I like that. Okay? You're going to sin still tomorrow, right? You have a lot of sin in the past. You have sins today. But more importantly, you will have sins tomorrow. You know what Jesus will do for all of this? He will erase all of them. Delete. Boop. Okay? Really? He can do it. Yeah. But do you trust him? Just like you would trust a doctor who is telling you that you're sick and you need to get cut? Or a driver is going to bring you to where you don't even know where it is? Jesus will do that. He will remove all of your sins, past, present, and future. Only Jesus can have our sins forgiven. You have to trust him. Oh, why? Because the Bible is very clear. God is very clear. The author, the maker of life, the maker of everything was very, very clear. Jesus is the only solution acceptable to a holy God when it comes to sin. And you better get that right. Only Jesus meets the condition of God's forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9.22 In case you're wondering, you know, how can sins be forgiven? Well, God is very clear. And He's not going to violate that Himself. He has to satisfy that. Hebrews 9.22 Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Oh, blood has to be shed? Ew. Okay. Yeah, blood has to be shed. That's the way God intended it, and that's the way it has been, and that's why it has been met. No surprise that this cross... Where is the cross? Okay. <laughs> oh, this Jesus is... All red, blood. Okay, very good. Okay. No wonder, okay, that cross was filled with blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that's why you have to trust Jesus. Because only Jesus shed his blood on that cross. Only Jesus offered his blood. And that's the only blood acceptable to God. Because Jesus never sinned. Sinless, spotless blood of the Lamb. And you better believe that. And if you don't trust Him to do that, then you cannot make Him your Savior. And you are on your own. Good luck. But if you believe that you're a sinner, and within you there's nothing that will glorify God, and all you can do is sin, sin, and sin, then it's time for you folks to get Christmas right and get Jesus as the Savior of your life because only Jesus can forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future. That is why Jesus, that's why the Bible is full of claims and statements about Jesus saying so. John 1.29 The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, notice, sin, singular. It would have been spelled sins of the world. No, because he was referring to what? The fallen nature. He was referring to the disposition of man, not to glorify God, but to glorify himself. And this Lamb is the only one who can take that away so that we can be acceptable to God, to God uh, and, and have the peace that he promises during Christmas. That lamb, bleeding, and that is Jesus, bleeding on the cross. Other claims about Jesus as the only one who can save. 
Make no mistake about it. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why will Jesus say this? Is Jesus proud? No. He's only stating a fact. Because only Jesus, only Jesus can take away the problem of man, which is sin. And only Jesus can offer peace between you and God. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is what? Jesus. No wonder we have it all here. The reason for the season is Jesus. But make no mistake about it. He just made the first step. And we have first and second step that we have to take care of. The first step is to receive him as your savior. So let's fix that problem right now. It's a first must. Makes Jesus your savior now. Right now. If Jesus is not yet your savior, make Jesus your savior now. What do you do? Admit you're a sinner and does not have any way to save yourself from hell. Think about this. You are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Trust Jesus to forgive all your sins, all past, present, and future by his spotless, sinless blood. Accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. You know, the Sunday school children sang a song. What did they say? What can you offer him? Give Jesus your heart. You know, Jesus will come into your life if you ask him in humility and in prayer. This is the season of remembering that God loves you so much and he gave his son Jesus so that there will be peace. And Jesus in Revelations 3.20 said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him will dine with him and he with me. I don't want to move forward with this message unless I pause and give you the chance to make Jesus your savior now. I'd like everyone to bow their heads right now. Close your eyes. And if you're sleeping, your eyes are already closed, okay? <laughs> but I would like you to wake up. To get Christmas right, you must make Jesus as your Savior. And for those of you who have not even done that in your past life, this is your opportunity. Jesus is offering to be your Savior, and He wants you to accept Him as your Savior. And all you have to do is, in humility, say this prayer with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm inclined not to honor you and glorify God. And I don't like that. I want to change that, God. I cannot save myself. 
I'm destined for hell because of this sin nature that I have. Lord Jesus, save me. I want you to come into my life and I want to receive you as my only Savior. Lord Jesus, by faith, I trust you to remove all of my sins, past, present, and future, because of your blood. Do that for me, Lord Jesus. I want to accept you into my heart, into my life, to become my Savior and my Lord. I may not fully understand that, Lord, right now, but you said that if I open my heart, you will come in, you will dine with me, and you will be intimate with me. Lord Jesus, I want to stop fighting my sinful nature. I want to get rid of it. This morning, I accept you into my heart, into my life. Remove all of my sins by faith. Give me eternal life right here and right now. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I receive you. Amen. You know, if you pray that prayer, nothing miraculous, but trust me, the peace that God promises will start between you and God. And if you pray that prayer, Jesus is in you. 1 John 5, 11 to 13 or 12. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the life has the Son. He who has the, he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have the Son, whether you like it or not, you have peace because you have eternal life and you're reconciled to God. Wow, how awesome is that? In fact, Romans 8, 1 and 2, I love this. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You know what condemnation is? That's hell. There is now no hell for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I'm so happy for you, those of you who have prayed to receive Christ this morning, because you are free from the penalty of sin and eventually be free from the power of sin. But we're not done yet. Remember, there's two musts. There are two musts. The first must was what? Man must make Christ his Savior. We've done that. Check. Okay? What's the second one? Oh, okay. But before that, let me remind you what you have because Jesus Christ is your Savior. Number one, because those of you who prayed, those of you who prayed to receive Christ and accepted him as Lord, what do you have? You are now a child of God, whether you like it or not. Really? Oh, I used to think that everyone is a child of God. No. I really used to think everyone is a child of God. Every time I'm asked the question, are you a child of God? Yes. Oh, everyone is a child of God. No. John 1.12 says, To him who received Christ, to him who believed, they are given the right to become children of God. So if you have received Christ, you have the right, and you are a child of God, whether you like it or not. John 3.16, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Number two, you are freed from the penalty of sin. In other words, because Jesus removed all of your sins, past, present, and future, 
you're no longer subject to hell because you are freed from the penalty of sin, Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who believe, you have eternal life, John 3.16. And you are born again, whether you like it or not. You are born again, given a new regenerated nature. What do you mean new and regenerated nature? Remember your old nature? Your nature only wants to honor yourself and dishonor God? This time, if you receive Christ, you have a new nature. You're born again, and that nature can honor and glorify God and God alone. Awesome! You're born again. John 3.16 and Romans 8.1. And then, there are more, but I only cited the more important ones. Finally, you were given the Holy Spirit. Whether you like it or not, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is given as a pledge for your inheritance to go to heaven. What's the Holy Spirit for? To help you become like Christ. I will repeat, to help you become like Christ, pleasing to God. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. If you hear the gospel and you believe the gospel and you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is given as a pledge. And that Holy Spirit, folks, make no mistake about it, is huge. It is the power that is within you to make you become pleasing to God. So, let's go back to two must. The two must for man to glorify and please God. Man must have Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We're done with the first, and I'm going to give quickly for the second for many of us who are here who believe we're saved. And if we do that, we will get Christmas right. Second must. Man must make Christ his Lord. Saved man must make Christ his Lord. I will repeat. Saved man must make Jesus Christ his Lord. Are you saved? Yes. Then you must make also Jesus Christ your Lord. Why? Because God is most pleased. I will repeat, God is most pleased when man, after being saved, matures to become like Christ. Wow, I didn't know that, yeah. God is most pleased only when you mature. God is happy when you're saved, but after being saved, you don't change? Something's wrong. God did not save you just to go to heaven. God saved you to be pleasing to him, to become like Christ. Lordship means man being completely subject to the Lord. You and I should be subject to the Lord completely. It is doing all that the Lord Jesus commands. Really? But we cannot do it. No, 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 you can. Remember, Jesus became the fulfillment of the law. Right? Jesus did not abolish the law and say, from now on, I'm not supposed to obey because I am saved. No! Jesus came to fulfill the law. Meaning what? Jesus obeyed all the law. And if we want to make Jesus Christ as Lord, which is the second requirement to get Christmas right, please, it is doing all that the Lord Jesus commands. And all of the commands of Jesus seek only to please God, by the way, God the Father. 
God gives you commands. If you obey them, it will make you pleasing to God. No less. Make no mistake about it. No wonder, like I said, God's purpose for saving man is to make him conformed to the image and likeness of his son. Did you know that? That God saved you did not just to go to heaven. God saved you not just to remove your sins, past, present, and future, which you like, right? But you know, God saved you also because he wants you to be pleasing to him. And to be pleasing to him, you have to be conformed to the image and likeness of his son. That's what Romans 8.29 is talking about. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. Why? Because God's standard of being pleasing is Jesus. Say that to each other. God's standard of being pleasing is Jesus. If you want to become pleasing to God, folks, we have no choice except to become like Christ. And becoming like Christ is the issue of making Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, not just Savior of our lives. And that is getting Christmas right. Scriptures point abundantly on how pleased God is with Jesus, right? Oh, andami. Look, after Jesus was baptized, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And the voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Transfiguration, Matthew 7, 17, 1 to 6. Six days, after Jesus took him, uh, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. Folks, Jesus lived to please his Father. No more, no less. Bible is very clear. John 8, 29. He who sent me is with me, he said. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That's why the standard of Jesus, of God, to make us be pleasing to him is to become like him. Conversely, obviously, it's bad. Not becoming like Christ is absolutely not pleasing to God. He saved you to bring you to heaven, yes, but he saved you also to be transformed to become like Christ. And if you're not becoming that, he is not pleased at all. Because it is remaining like the sinful world, selfish, proud, like Satan. And this is for all of us who have been Christians for a long time. Really, we've been experiencing Christmas, enjoying Christmas for a long time. And I hope that in this Christmas, we will get Christmas right. Let us stop remaining like the sinful world, proud and selfish like Satan. And folks, again, you decide. That's exactly what's happening to many Christians today based on research and findings. Based on research and findings. And I'm not making this up. 
The sooner you share the burden with all of us Christians, the sooner we can make Christian life more appealing to the people around us. There's a book by Ronald Sider. Ronald Sider is a uh, Canadian-born American theologian and social activist. He is often identified by others with Christian left, even if he personally disclaims any political inclination. He wrote a book. The book is The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. And in that book, he addresses the question, or he explains why are Christians living just like the rest of the world. Oh, really? Christians are living just like the rest of the world? Yeah, unfortunately. And that's the indictment. In fact, he had a very, very specific question. Why Christians do not practice what they preach? This is for all of us. We've been Christians for quite some time. Is he talking about us? Or is he talking about some other Christians? Why Christians do not practice what they preach? Cider cited statistics proving that Christians do not practice what they preach. Divorce. 33% born-again Christians. Wow! Thirty-four <laughs> percent for general population. There's no difference. Ninety percent of divorces came after being born again. Really? You know, I really wonder. I'm not judging people, guys. If people are still divorcing and people are still selfish after they got saved. I'm not sure if they got saved in the first place. This is serious stuff, guys. Let's get Christmas right. Many of us have walking on this earth, going to church Sunday after Sunday, believing we're Christians when in fact we're not. Because the only proof that we are Christians is when we become transformed to the image and likeness of His Son by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we would like to get Christmas right. Sexual promiscuity. One-third of all evangelicals say premarital sex is okay. One-third. 33%. Racism. Oh, Christians are not racist. You are right. Least prejudice. Did you know that the least prejudiced people of all are the Catholics and the non-evangelical? But the evangelicals, the people who profess and study the Bible very, very, very well, are the most racist? Come on. Protestants, finally, evangelicals and Southern Baptists. Physical and sexual abuse mirrored population. In other words, among Christians, the physical and the verbal abuse and the sexual abuse, they're the same as what's happening all around us. Now you decide. Are we Christ-like? Are we Christ-like? Materialism. Oh, this is big. Average church member gives 2.6% to the church. Down from 3.1%. Ang baba na nga. Bumaba pa. Okay? Evangelicals give 4.6%. 9% of evangelicals type. But the rest, they are so materialistic. They rather spend their money somewhere else rather than give it to the church 
which will help change the world. Fact. Many Christians today are living just like the rest of the world, unchanged, hardly changed, and not like Christ, in spite of having the Holy Spirit. In spite of having the Holy Spirit. Really? Uh, they're still slaves to sin. You know, if you're still living like the rest of the world, I submit to you, you didn't understand the promise that God gave you. What was the promise? He said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of life in Christ, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You see, I, I intentionally highlighted, has set you free from the law of sin. Meaning what? If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is within you, then you are free from the power of sin and the slavery of sin. But if you're not, then I leave it up to you to figure out why. Maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit in the first place. And you think you have. Is it good for us to assess whether we have the Holy Spirit or not? I think it is. And the only way that we can find out is if we truly accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and humbly begin to see our need for Him. Until then, the Holy Spirit will not come. And it doesn't matter if you believe you're saved. If the Holy Spirit is not there, you're not going to change because you will always do what you want to do and not what is glorifying to God. If man, after being saved, continues to fail to struggle with sin and continues to sin, I repeat, if you keep struggling with sin and continues to sin and keep justifying it, then sin is the Lord of your life. And Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You are still enslaved to sin. Here, sin is the Lord and master of man, not Jesus Christ. Time to break away from that free. Amen? Amen. It's time to stop doing that and really, really be freed from the enslaving power of sin. And because Jesus made that possible. After he made you free from sin, the penalty of sin, he also made you free from the power of sin. But you have to make him Lord. Today, to make Christmas right, and if you have received Christ already in your heart and in your life, I would like us all to make a commitment this time. Save people. Let us become people who will become like Christ and have Jesus Christ as our Lord. I will repeat, and I'm going to close with this. The Lordship of Christ is the only way for us to overcome sin, to become Christ-like, pleasing to God. Did you get me? The Lordship of Jesus Christ is the only way for us to overcome sin, to become Christ-like, to be pleasing to God. I know what you're talking, but Jesus, but pastor, all of my sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Yes, I know. That's the promise of having Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you really believe and you really saved. But if you keep on sinning and doing over those things over and over again, justifying the fact that, oh, God forgave me anyway, so I can keep doing it. I'm sorry. Maybe you have not gotten it right from the first, from the very beginning. And maybe you're not saved after all. Because if you're really saved, believe me, you will not continue doing what you're doing. And you need 
to understand that being saved is just the first step and lordship is the next step and the only way that you can become like overcome sin is to make him lord of your life oops sorry it means doing the will of christ and not just our worldly fleshly will it means dying to the old self and let christ do the living in the power of the holy spirit you see that it's progressive Salvation is one-time point. You accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. But hey, you're still alive. You're still going to live tomorrow and move on. What are you going to do? Exactly. Die to your old self. Let Christ do the living for you in the power of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. You understand what I'm saying? And until that is happening, that's, there's no proof at all whether you really are saved people offered peace by the Holy God. What is the result of the Lordship of Jesus Christ? The result is very clear. Obedience to all of God's commands, sinning less and less, becoming holy and acceptable to God. If you make Jesus Christ and Lord of your life and start obeying all, you will sin less and less. And if you sin less and less, you will become more and more like Him. Right? Because Jesus was sinless. There is a practical tool. There is a practical tool and a step to obey all of God's command to become like Christ. Do you want that? Yes. You know, if, you, if, you've been, if you've been a Christian for a long time and I know your heart, trust me, I've been there, I've done that. I tried very hard to overcome sin, but it just keeps getting me. But you know what? God doesn't want you to stay that way. But many of us are justifying it and saying, oh, tao lang po, hindi po tayo perfect. No, God doesn't want you to remain that way. Why? Because you did not and you do not know the practical step needed to do to make obedience to all possible to become like Christ. You want that? You're in the right place. This is it. Discipleship. The right tool, the only tool that Jesus provided for us to become, to overcome sin on a practical day-to-day -day level, to obey all and to become like him, is discipleship. You see, Jesus Christ is there leading all of his followers, and we all follow him just like the way Jesus walked and the way Jesus lived. Join a CCFLA discipleship group where you will be taught to obey all so you will teach others to obey all. You know, our groups are not just Bible study groups. We just don't come together to improve our head knowledge. We come together because we are teaching others to obey all that Christ has commanded that you learn in those Bible studies so that you will teach others to obey all. That is discipleship. And that's why we have the Great Commission. It was taken out of here because it's Christmas. But many of you people from CCF memorize it, right? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Shall we recite it? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I highlighted teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's there. It was not an accident. Because Jesus knows that after we come to Him as Savior, we are not done yet. There is a second must that we have to satisfy. And that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be able to obey all. And being able to obey all will transform you to become like Christ. And this, my friend, is making Jesus Christ Savior and Lord. The two musts satisfied. Remember what the angel said? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. You know, Christmas is all about the glory of God. You being reconciled to God. You becoming pleasing to him to enjoy the peace on earth. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, um, I, I, know, I know you want us to be happy during this season of, of, of joy and celebration. But Lord, we also, we also want to say sorry for your feeling disappointed and bad for us many times not getting Christmas right. So today, and beginning in the next Christmases of our lives, Lord, we will get Christmas right. We will live to glorify you and you alone. We are reconciled to you already, Lord, because of your son, Jesus. And thank you for that. Thank you for the blood of your son. And many of us here, Lord, have received Jesus Christ as Lord already, of, as Savior of our lives. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the people who are here, who are here today and are, are, are benefiting from, from this difficult message. Not a feel-good message, but, Lord, a right message. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to their hearts because they have started the first journey of the Christian life, which is to have you as their Savior. And now, Lord, I pray for many of us who have taken you as our Savior for many, many years, Savior, many, many, many years now. But sadly, Lord, we have not really grown to be the kind of Christians that you want us to be. Lord, yes, we know that you are, you, are, you are the one in charge of making us Christ-like. But at the same time, Lord, you also gave us a command to make Jesus Christ as our Lord. And that there is this command for us to be transformed to the image and likeness of your Son. And Lord, we take that challenge right now. I, I, in behalf of Lord CCFLA, I, I know their hearts. So all of the Christians here who have been saved for a long time, we would like to open our hearts to you again, Lord, and make you as Lord of our lives. Lord, teach us to obey all so that we can become conformed to you and like you. You are the only one pleasing to God, so Lord, make us like you. And if, if, if discipleship is it, Lord, and it becomes clear to me that this is what you want me to do to become Christ-like, Lord, so be it. Today, in your Lordship, I surrender. Today, Lord, I will commit to pursue the tool that you want me to pursue, which is to make disciples. Father, I commit my life to you. Thank you for the peace that only you can offer. Thank you, Lord, for restoring reconciliation between me and you. And because of that, Lord, I can live in joy and peace. And that is Christmas. Thank you, Lord. I get it now. In Jesus' name I pray.